0: Today, we have Alyssa Zen on the show. Do you want to learn how to own your life? Alyssa is a real estate investor who built a portfolio of over 1,700 units. She started with humble beginnings, raised in China in a 400-square-foot apartment. She was a computer engineer prior to becoming a full-time real estate investor and wants people to learn how she maximizes returns for investors. Listen to this episode to learn how to get started in real estate investing, how to partner and scale your business, and how to build trust and maximize returns for investors. Before we jump into the intro, we are so close. We are currently at 298 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and are shooting to get to the 300 mark. We just need two more. Please go to Apple Podcasts, hit subscribe, and please select the five-star review. Thank you in advance for stepping up. Now, on a the intro.
1: Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder.
0: A little background on Alyssa Zen before we start the show. Alyssa lives in Seattle with her family. She started with single-family, then fourplexes, and then scaled up to 1,700 units. Now she is not only focused on growing her portfolio, but she is also focused on teaching others through her EasyFiUniversity.com website. I love her quote that says she wants people to own your life. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest with us here. Today, we have Alyssa Zen. Alyssa, I appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Darren. And thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. So uh, before we get started, just a little bit on how we know each other. So uh, we were both part of the same uh, multifamily mentorship group. And kind of ran in the same crowd. Um, we know a lot of the same syndicators and passive investors and, and whatnot. And um, Alyssa has just been killing it. So I'm excited to hear her story and have her share it with everyone. Um, so with that, typically first question I ask is how many properties and how many units uh, you currently own?
1: Uh, I think we're over 1,700 units and... 14 to 15 properties. Sorry, I got to kind of do the math in my head a little bit. Yeah.
0: So that's crazy. And when did you get started?
1: Um, So I got started. um, So I actually got started in real estate investing since 2009. Um, We started with single family like many people do. Um, and it was really career investing, uh, sorry, not career investing, like um, side gig investing, you know, sure. Um, sure. after our investing. So passive, we were always buying holders. Um, so, you know, at, um, in 2009, we know what happens in 2008. So it was a really great market to get in. So our first investment was a single unit condo. Um, and I can tell you a <laughs> reason not to buy one. Um, but, you know, it served us well uh, in a really good location in Seattle. That's where we started. And then uh, we just, over the years, saved and saved and bought more single-family homes. Um, uh, and the, the the goal was that we did a calculation, I did a calculation that basically in, um, you know, if I bought seven properties and paid them all off in Seattle, then I should be able to live on the rents um, for, for good. Um, so then we... You know, I, my daughter was born in 2015, and that after my really good maternity leave, about six months or so, nice. I didn't really want to nice. go back, you know? So, um, and it, it was really hard. Even after six months, you thought you're ready. Uh, like, I was even commenting on like how people can't even go back after four months. Um, and then here I was, like six months later, I was supposed to go back and didn't really want to go back. So, during that, I've been kind of giving a lot of thought. Did a lot of research online. Literally typed in how to quit my job through real estate investing because that's the only thing that I do. Anything I invest in a stock didn't really do what very well. Uh, also, you know, I just didn't have the time or energy or the interest to invest in the stock. So that's kind of how I typed in a you know question, and then uh, I ran into bigger pockets. Um, and I read all about it. You know, spent time binge reading blogs. Um, and then uh, realized that that maybe we were doing all this wrong because we weren't going after full cash flow because remember our goal was to pay off the seven properties so all of them right. are on fifteen right. year mortgage so there's literally no cash flow on these deal or barely any um, and but we got a lot of equity because when you invest in the right market at the right time uh, it's very forgiving and so the 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 upside is that we got tons of equity accumulated in these properties. Um, And especially going through a down cycle, now you're on the up. Um, So even more equity. So we were able to kind of release some of these equities and the 1031 exchange into a couple of small fourplexes. We also were able to cross-collateralize our primary home to buy uh, fourplexes. Um, Essentially try to execute the Burr method uh, before Burr becoming the Burr. Um, really value add method at much smaller scale. So I self managed my tenants and my husband self renovated them. Keep in mind we also have a infant home, so he's our primary care. So between caring for our kids and renovating the units, um, you know the units take forever to get done. Uh, but once they got done, and somehow we still saved cost, uh, right? Because you're doing material costs versus the paying labor. And Seattle is a very expensive labor market. Um, so, you know, seven or eight months later, one or two units were done, <laughs> uh, we were able to rent it out. But, um, it did teach me quite a bit in terms of dealing with your tenant, what the tenant wanted and how do you actually move the price up on some of the, these units, um, three out of four, they didn't want to leave. So it was actually easier for us. And then it was a... Um, uptime during in Seattle, um the rents are going up crazy. It was going double digits every year. Um, so these property when we buy, they were really undermarketed. Um, so I was able to work with our current tenant and then raise up their rent just on the get-go two hundred dollars per unit uh, without wow. even doing an update. And then they stayed. Um, you know, so, and then we realized that if you address the deferred maintenance issue, your tenants are more happy to stay, especially the ones that's been there for 10, 20 years. Uh, they don't, they don't want to move because this is their home. Um, so this is actually quite a good lesson teaching me, um, how to kind of, uh, you know, managing your tenant and move up the lease optimally. Um, so then I start get bored after a couple of fourplexes. I'm like, okay, we got this down. Then, uh, And then we also bring some repeat. We went and got refinanced multiple times. And who knows, we probably got like two or three times our principal back during all that. Um, And so meanwhile, still cash flowing about $500 a unit, which is pretty good. Um, So what I did is I listened to all these podcasts and was like, okay, we got to go bigger. So commercial is the way to go. you know. But I wasn't ready to go out of state yet. So we bought a 12 unit. Um, so I had a couple goals set out. Any type of investment, when you're investing, I think the mindset of setting a goal is very important. Ideally, that goal ties into your life goal. It, it, it ties into where you want to be in your life. Um, so for me, it was like, okay, commercial can get us there maybe faster. Maybe Maybe we can get more cash flow on these deals. Um, so I set up a goal that I basically want my husband not to be renovating the units anymore. Uh, it is definitely not healthy to be in the relationships (laughs) together where there's a lot of stress and you have an infant. Um, and it's not very efficient. So once you go bigger, you can't have one person just doing all these renovations. Um, the other thing is I enjoy actually talking with my tenants. Some I do, some I don't. Um, So I don't want to manage them anymore because it's not scalable to be managing your own tenants. Um, So we set our site in Tacoma, which is about an hour away from here. But with traffic, you might as well lose three hours of your life. Um, So, um, you know, because Tacoma is far enough away that we couldn't self-manage anymore. And then Tacoma is also close enough away. If should there be any emergency, we can jump on it. Um, so, and then I also had another goal, which is get it I had the three goals doing this, is getting a commercial loan because that seems to be really hard to do. um, and uh, getting on board a partner and then get us out of the management. So with the twelve unit acquisition, we were able to achieve all three. I took on one single partner, but then it was my first deal, so we put at least seventy five percent of the money down. He only put twenty five. I pretty much worked for free. Um, and um, that was kind of how that was done because uh, I didn't feel comfortable enough not to um, basically use other people's money and not having skin in the game. Um, so then in this case, it was really great. He turns out to be an amazing partner. He's super passive. You know, he's very he understandable. Any risk that we, uh, which you will have in real estate investing. Um, so it, little do we know, we did analysis because we focused on single metric, which is cash flow. And when you invest focusing on a single metric, you start to have blindsided by other metrics. Um, so, this property is a Tacoma Mall. For all your folks who live in Seattle, you know Tacoma Mall is probably the worst area around. Um, so, there's a lot of crime in the area. We did do our research, but honestly, in the Northwest, there's not really a D, like true D location. You know, even if it's high crime it's still relatively more tame compared to like the Bay Area and whatnot. Um, so we did have to deal with a lot of drama during then and we had a lot of turnovers and the units were more deferred maintenance than we thought they were. And then just pro tip, anytime when you do an inspection, your inspector is always going to be, for some reason, even commercial, they're always going to be a little bit more lenient when they're writing these reports. They can't uncover everything. Somehow everything looks really good when you did an inspection and after you close it and uh, just... A day after close, they could turn into not so great. Um, <laughs> so the interior unit had a lot of mold issue. We did have renovate a few uh, property, like a few units um, on turnovers and et cetera. So that got us a good value. But again, it's the same research um, on like rents and et cetera. We were able to move up the rents to where we desire to be. And then we sold it about a two years later, less than two years later, and then did a 1031 on that and made 100% profit. But it did not hit my goal on cash flow, you know? So because we were spending so much time and so much money on CapEx, um, which is not the type that we plan to do. So we also didn't have cash reserves. So it's into our pockets we go. I sure. did not ask my partner for a single dime on this. And he actually in the structure, he actually had an A-prefer rate. So he's getting his A-prefer rate. He actually came out, made more than I did. Um, So, you know, but through that experience, this is a partner who's going to stick with me forever um, because, uh, you know, that he sees how we're dealing with the hardships and all that stuff. And then he's happy with, you know, he's accelerating on the capital. So so from there, um, then we went out of state.
0: Yeah. Can I, can I uh, jump in for one second? So yeah, sure. I think it's amazing all the levels, you know, of, of learning and then trading up that occurred with you. And, you know, I think that that's also important for listeners to understand is that, you know, you wouldn't have continued to level up if you didn't get your first, you know, your first single family. I mean, that that was a, you were working a W-2 job and, you know, you took a risk and, you know, real estate is a risk, but then all of a sudden you had all this capital that was equity that was built up in those single family homes and gave you the ability to uh, roll that into others. So were Mm -hmm. you born super wealthy?
1: No, that's always people assume like, because you're Asian, you're like crazy rich Asian, but. No, we Are, were born like, we, on some of, yeah, on some of our like presentations we showed. You don't fly around them. on
0: private jets and, you know, no. as, from a, from a kid. No.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. We're no. working, you know, we're working class, we're middle class. I would say, I always tell people, um, you know, it's interesting how you grew up, what you used to. I grew up in the eighties in China, in Shanghai, Um, it is a great city. But as middle class, you literally live in a studios of about, who knows, like maybe uh, a square meter because Chinese people use square meters. Uh, so that's probably about, I don't know, like four or five hundred square foot studio. Wow, wow. With, I grew up with my aunt and my uncle and my cousin. So four of us will um, put a bed together, like literally put a bed together and I'll sleep on the chairs because the chairs are kind of like you put four chairs together. That's a bed. Um, so, you know, but we're middle class. I, I don't want to kind of sell the story like, oh, we were super poor, but that's just how we grew up with. We don't even have running toilets. Right. So that's kind of how we grew up. Right.
0: That's how you grew up. But then, um, and you, you know, you were, what, what kind of business were you in W2 wise?
1: Yeah. So I was a computer engineer because, you know, my dad is a senior scientist and, and then later on moved to Canada because he lived in Canada. Uh, he still lives in Canada. Um, and I always tell people that the day that he retired, I also retired the same year that we did. Um, so, which is really great. That's cool. Uh, but, you know, but you see him, he's a guy who has two, three bedroom house in the middle of nowhere uh, in Canada. And, um, you know, he's kind of always the role model growing up for me. Um, so getting a job, it seems to be just a normal path. Because in China, the education is the number one key academically you have to do good. You basically have no other life other than just study. Um, and that was kind of reinforced to me. And then you get a job and that's how you get there. But when you reach America or Canada, you start realizing the opportunity is what you make out of it. In China, in the old country, or even Europe, um, such opportunity is not abundant. There's a lot of like old traditional rules, classes, etc. that blocks you from getting there. But when you're coming to this land... Uh, you have the ability uh, to really have an equal opportunity. When we say equal opportunity is if you try as hard you want uh, with the ability that you have, you can get somewhere, right? Just that simple uh, opportunity.
0: That that word that you said, used multiple times, I think is so key is opportunity. You know, it's afforded to everybody in the country, but a lot of people are scared to take a chance on that first investment property. And, you know, think, think back in terms of had you not made that decision and you just tried to save your way to wealth? Right. Just, you know, how much more difficult that would have been.
1: Yeah. So Darren, you just touched on things. I never thought about it, but just kind of popped up in my head there is I looked at my grandma when my grandma, which is like when she passed away all her life savings. um, And then she left me a you know, inheritance, pretty much all her life savings, quite a big chunk of it. uh, That's $8,000. $8,000? Yeah. I I used that because depreciation, inflation that cost all that, because remember, you know, when she passed away, she's, she passed away pretty early in her 60s or so. Um, And then, but you know, all her life savings. And she's a lady who, when I come over on the weekends, she will scope me about using hot water to wash my hands um, and that she will basically drip, like the drip method, like where you're like saving up all the <laughs> tubs of water and use that to flush the toilet and then all her life savings. Um, and I got a pretty good chunk of that inheritance. Not all, but obviously went to the daughters and the son too, but I got $8,000 from her. You know, that's that's a big money that she has saved all her life. And then uh, during an inflation country, because China went through a huge development a period from the 80s to 90s and to 2000s, you know. Um, and the dollar value has become de- um, basically depreciated so much because of all these developments, right? So, so all her money at the time, it may be worth a lot more, but by the time she passed away, it was not substantial. Of course, I used it to buy my first car, but it didn't even made it the down payment, you know. But it right. was symbolic for me, right. yeah.
0: Right, but that, I mean... That's the thing that I've learned. You know, I've only been in the real estate business like three and a half years, but I've met so many people that, you know, they found a way to take a chance. And then all of a sudden they saw the power of leverage and using, you know, uh, the leverage of the loan, leverage of other people's money and tax efficiency. And all of a sudden they started building their wealth and some used a process like you talked about, you know, you you sell a property and you have a gain and roll it in ten thirty one exchange, and that allows you to 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 roll that tax free. Other people, you know, started to do the syndication route and leverage other people's money, um, and and got fantastic returns from that. But yeah, but I don't see any other, you know, path. The other, the only other path, I guess, you probably see it more out in the in the West is. If you, you know, work for a company that you get a lot of stock options and they just hit it big, you could be, you know, multi-multi-millionaire, you know, from the stock options. Um, But aside from that, I haven't met many people that have just saved their way to, you know, tremendous wealth.
1: No, yeah, because saving is, especially when you put in the bank, the inflation is just going to eat it up. So saving is definitely not the way. And then the second path was like my dad, who's worked his W2 job. And even nowadays, when he calls me, he's like, Well, not now, but when when in the back of 10 years when I was working, he's like, Why are you not in the office working extra time? You know, try to get that like bonus, whatever. Um, and and it was definitely not, it's also not the way to reach to wealth. Like when yes, it's a foundation for it. Like anything that we do, it's a foundation, right? So um the money that you saved is you have to invest. The money you make from your W-2, you have to invest. This is not to say for a listener to go out there and just quit your job right away to invest. In fact, it's a really good idea to kind of create some basis using your W-2 job, using your savings, using your habits, and uh, basically using that to invest and sometimes investment may mean lose money and sometimes investment may mean uh, making money Um, but for me it was like in stocks I just don't see that balance going up you know forever your 401k is supposed to go up your stock option like your stock is supposed to go up but it's just taking forever it's not doing anything Uh, every time you check your statement still the same maybe lost to some money Um, and then whereas your real estate uh, you know, you look at Zillow's and etc. your asset uh, value just kind of increases, let alone that you have cash flow. You know, cash flow is what we kind of discover later on. Um, but if you only focus on cash flow, then you're missing out the big golden nuggets on equity growth, which is why you invest in real estate. To become wealthy, you need to invest in equity. Um, to create your job, you need cash flow.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that's great advice. I mean, and I think that, yeah, don't go quit your job not knowing, you know, first get educated, listen to podcasts, read books, um, and then find somebody else that, that's successful and figure out how you can get, you know, your toe in the door. And then um, you learn one thing and then you're off, you know, you're like you said, after after you did fourplexes, which which a lot of listeners may like be like, oh my gosh, owning a fourplex would be so, you know, I can't even imagine it. And then you're like, oh, after I own a fourplex, I got bored and I wanted to go do something else. But, you know, had you never bought that first single family home, you never would have, you know, thought you could buy the fourplex, you know. Um, And now you're doing large syndications and own over 1700 units. Um, The other thing that's cool is I see pictures of you traveling all over and you really have a different one. How old are you? I'm 51 uh, I am
1: uh, uh, close 51. to oh. yeah I'm close to 40.
0: <laughs> okay close to 40, close to 40, and I, 40. See, I look
1: young because the I Asian I see, <laughs> I see you I see traveling
0: <laughs> all over and look you you know at close to 40 you have you know a pretty good lifestyle and you know w- you would you be able to do that had you not gotten involved in in real estate investing?
1: No, that's, I mean, that's just it, right? Like you are not able to involved with that. Um, and then when I'm traveling, I also work. So I try to not make it as glamorous as it is. Um, but you have the flexibility. Um, I think it's a key. It doesn't matter if you invest in real estate or doing business. Once you become an entrepreneur, you own your own business. You truly own your own business, not your business owns you you now have the freedom of time and freedom of space and flexibility of who you want to spend time with. So like you own your life. Um, and I think if that was a transition for me, um, you know, which is being an entrepreneur. Um, and then you can be investing in real estate as a syndicator, you entrepreneur. And this is like what really excites me. And not everybody is built to be it's not one path is better than the other. Not everybody is built to be entrepreneur, right? So like people can be very successful during their job too. Darren, you mentioned about there are people who make loads of money doing the W2 job, being CEO of the companies, uh, you know, being in CFOs and all that. And then that's what they do. They should be sticking what they do and what makes them the happiest. And for me personally, it was being entrepreneur. I didn't even realize it until recently when I look back into my W2 job, I was constantly growing myself um, and I did personality tests and I was like oh no wonder I hate my W2 job it's not because the job itself it's because the task come along with it was actually I was doing 80% work on the spectrum I was not supposed to do work um, you know like uh, that I do not enjoy doing the 80% of work I was at work but I have to do them because someone else owned me, right? Um, Right. And then when I become an entrepreneur, I accelerated on, I was doing 80% of work on the stuff that I love to do, which is being strategic, generating ideas, and all that sort of stuff, and that fits naturally into my spectrum. So I would highly recommend any listener, if you're embarking on this, and then also especially if you want to be a syndicator or investing, you need to create a team, so you need to figure out your roles, is to take... A personality test and understand what you really are good at and what you really love to have. When you have that intersection, you kind of reach a balance in your life, and that balance does not mean you work no hours. Uh, that balance may mean you work twelve hours a day, um, but then you're actually happy doing this.
0: Yeah, that's that's I love that statement that you own your own life. You know, and and I agree with you. Like, there's some people that. If they took that personality test, they'd be like, I'm right where I should be. You know, I'm doing exactly what I should do. I love my job. You know, I love that, you know, and I wouldn't do anything different. And then there's other people that just feel stuck. And, you know, you know, that those people need to figure out a way to get started doing something else, like stay in your job, but then learn how to invest, you know? So you ha- actually have... Oh, you, you and know, the, you,
1: the guys who are really good at your job, they should learn how to invest it as well because absolutely. you, know, like oh. you want to do that passively, right? Because you're at very happily where you're at. So when you're generating that job, you want to convert that active income into passive income. So that should you lost your job, I interview CEOs and et cetera, actually, C-suit... Um, has a lot of different, like turnover, has a lot of turnovers. People get fired all the time. So don't think your job is secure is to build that nest egg to make sure that your life is secure so you have the option. Um,
0: yeah, you know, yeah there, I, that's a great point. There's, a, you know, there's a lot of people in the workforce that when they sign up with the company and it doesn't matter if they're a worker B or they're at the C-suite, um, you know, they sign up and they, they sign up for the 401k and they do the match, and they they just think that, like, I'm going to be focused on my job, and I'm just going to put the money over there, and then somebody's just going to miraculously grow it for me. But the reality is that, you know, you're responsible for your entire life, and the money that you're setting aside is part of what you need to be accountable for, and you need to actually understand where you're investing that and. You know, if you wanted to diversify, you know, maybe you have some in stocks and you figure out a way to get into real estate. One way being, you know, possibly passively investing with somebody else that's going to manage it for you. Um, but those are those are important points. Since you've gotten, you know, more and more successful and you started giving back, you know, so you created you know, a website and a podcast and a YouTube channel. Um, you have this EZFI University. Can you talk a little bit about that? What is that? And, you know, what, what was why did you even start that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so one of the big goals, so I'm uh, some person that just come up with crazy ideas and don't ask me how I came up with these, <laughs> but then they become like some sort of a goal in my life. Um, so one of the goals I had in my life was to help Millions of people reaching financial um, uh, financial freedom. One of the one of the things that I um, wanted to do is to help a million people understanding being financially literate. Um, and I don't know where that came from. Um, what it is is to create equal opportunity. I think when I kind of think about it in my life, it's like equality is something that I'm really passionate about. Equality being. Giving equal opportunity it doesn't mean that you're handing someone something, but it's just, right. you know, making that option possible for the person who wants to try work hard to make that happen. Um, so that was something that I had in mind. And then so when COVID hit, you know, here I was November 2019, I quit my job and then doing the real estate full time. It's a little scary. Um, And then, um, you know, April rolls around, March rolls around, COVID hits. (laughs) Um, I wish I actually stayed at my job because I would have got an employment check. Um, But the, um, you know, it is what it is. Um, And then, so I was kind of sitting at home doing not much. And then there's a lot of government help stuff going on. So I started a mini series to basically bring information to all my surroundings, you know, like uh, people who I work with, people who I partner with, and et cetera. The intent was to help them understand these resources to help them. So we made a little mini-series of a 12-episode. we interviewed a few guests coming in, each with a topic specifically around COVID, COVID help, um, because there's actually some great policies came out to help people. Um, and, and then that got me thinking one thing leads to next, I was like, oh, well, I was always interested in doing this. And it was my five-year goal to create an education program after we're more established to do that. But then we're just twiddling our thumbs sitting at home anyways right now. So why don't we just get it started now? I thought it would be really easy. I have this um, disadvantage or advantage of thinking everything is easy. Uh, And quick starter, I guess. So when I start doing something, then you realize it's not as easy. Um, and, uh, a lot of my investor has expressed the interest to become, get to the next level, become more actively engaged. Their tax benefit when you become actively engaged. Um, so I was like, well, like we can maybe just create a course to teach people how to be financially independent. Right. Um, and then also maybe create a little mastermind so that we can help our investors who expressed interest to become more active. And then once you kind of create some of these material that you realize you're like, okay, but where are these people who were like interested, you know, said they were interested? And then you realize time is a commodity that not everybody can afford. So their passive investor are passive for a reason because they couldn't squeeze any more minute to spend time on education. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of tweaking and marketing and I learned a lot of stuff there. Um, And so we have pivoted from just just teaching people the basics on financial independence, all these great concepts, how to set up your financial systems. So you're leveraging whole life insurance, you're leveraging solo 401ks, like all these financial vehicles to optimizing for your yield, optimizing for your investment. Uh, From there, it's a base foundation. We actually now created a mastermind for folks who want to just be mentored, group mentored, um, and, and then getting into syndication or owning multifamily uh, or owning multiple home parks, um, that type of stuff. So, so making sure people are reaching their potentials to reach their FI. So
0: Very, um, very cool. So now you're taking yeah. the lessons that you've learned and you're teaching other people how to achieve their goals. Where, where, do, yeah. where, where would somebody find this, um, this information?
1: Yeah. Um. You can go to Easy, uh, Easy Fi University. Fi stands for Financial Independence. So Easy. My name, Easy Fi
0: like e, and then we have a lot of blog. Not easy. E a s y, but Easy E, and then, and f- and then the, the letter Z, Fi Yes, university.com.
1: yes that's correct, Darren. Okay. All right. Yeah. And then we uh we also have a lot of Blogs, free articles. Just be warned, I write long articles. Uh, <laughs> with examples, uh, and examples. Uh, so, and then my marketing team has told me that put three of your articles together, we can make an ebook. Um, so, <laughs> um, uh, so we nice. do uh, explore nice. very deeply into the topics. So we have articles about how do you leverage um, tax advantages when you are investing actively. Um, so I share my personal stories and the calculations how we get there. Um, and we also have some basics for passive investors and what they should be betting on. Um, so some pretty good articles, but they do tire me out because they're a super long article to write.
0: Did you think <laughs> yes. like three, four, five years ago that you would be in a position that you you're helping all these other people to to grow their wealth? I mean, was that even um, on maybe, your mind?
1: Yeah. So three, four years ago, maybe ten years ago, no. Um, and then I'll be on the entire different trajectory. And sometimes obstacles um, in your life leads to new opportunities. And then should I be successful in my work, you know, uh, my full-time job of really accelerating getting to like CFO, CFO, CEO's position. I wouldn't probably not think about it, right? And it's because that conflict with the personalities and the what I do as a work um, that has put a limit and ceiling on my growth and my work. Um, right. I, I'm still a good performer but I understand there's a ceiling to where I can go and then that prompted me to look for other opportunities um, so I think that sometimes like a hardships in your life kind of is is a accelerator for you to get onto the right path
0: for yourself uh, uh, absolutely and and I've interviewed a lot of people and and some you mentioned it before sometimes you know not every deal is a home run and sometimes there's challenges and I've interviewed a lot of people where sometimes their first deal, you know, wasn't the best deal, but they, they saw the power that could be. And so they kept pressing on, um, you know, so that, that perseverance, that persistence. And then, you know, cause some of these people I interview that have thousands of units, I'm like, you were just born wealthy. Like I asked you that, right? And you're like, no, I wasn't, you know, yeah. it, it came, it came one step at a time right. and everybody starts with their first investment deal. You know, you could, you could be pretty far yes. down the path, but everybody starts as a passive investor. I was nervous yep. on my first passive deal, you know, and, right. and I had the capital. It wasn't like, you know, it was going to put a huge dent if if it will but we just have this innate thing in our human being that we don't wanna lose and we don't wanna, you know, be taken advantage of and we don't wanna be ripped off. And um, but now I've got a deal that I just got an email yesterday that, you know, I put a hundred grand in three years ago and now I'm gonna get that hundred grand plus another hundred grand. I wouldn't have done that nice. in the stock market, you know? Right. And right. That was passively. I I wired the money and then other people managed it. <laughs> you know, so I'm right. I'm yeah. excited to to have gotten involved. But I remember I was scared. I was you know. But mm-hmm. you, just like you, you layer one thing on top of another. Um. So talk about partners. Since you know you had that initial partner who was a passive uh, partner, and now you've gotten into larger deals. You're doing like two hundred unit, hundred unit, three hundred unit type deals. Um. Mm-hmm. Where you know, where do you find partners and how do you figure out um how each partner, you know, complements one another and what each one is gonna to bring to the table and how you're gonna divide responsibilities and all of that?
1: Yeah. So um I when I first started syndication, just like you, Derek, I think it's a great idea to actually start passive investing. I invest five or six deals passively. Um, I wouldn't say before, during the time, I also did passive investment too, but I invested at least three passively before I got my first deal, just timing. I was trying, but it takes time to get into the active part. Um, and so that actually taught me a lot. Um, and then so what? Um, what? how do I find the partners? And oftentimes... At first, I was kind of naively thinking, I was like, "Oh, if I pass a limb back with someone, maybe in the future we can be partners." <laughs>
0: right. right. But you know that it's funny though, that you bring that up because I think a lot of people think that, right? I thought I thought that too, right? and but the reality is that that most likely is not going to happen.
1: Right. Well, because on the flip side, being a syndicator now that you have limited bandwidth, your focus is making sure you make returns for your investors. So you're focused on creating a system. So any good syndicator should be focusing on creating a business, creating a creating a system, hiring people to make that happen. And then there's a system process that you have in place. So having a partner is different than hiring a people because you need to be at that equal level brand and to make sure that the person, not only the person bring value, you bring value to them as well and it's a good fit. Like what you mentioned before, it's a good fit to be in the business and that role can change over the time. So when we first start doing the syndication, we partner with multiple people because we pit ourselves, it's totally just on myself. I pit myself into, well, I'm going to be focusing on a capital stack because I live on the west coast and I don't want to move to Texas or Arizona. So, but I want to invest Texas
0: there. isn't so bad. I got to tell you, I'm I'm an East Coast guy and, I, and I've been in Texas, Dallas now for 11 years and it's not so bad. I like it here, but, but, <laughs> yeah. but, I, but I get, but I get you. I get you. All right.
1: Not, not when you're from Northwest is Seattle <laughs> where it's uh, you know, 80 degrees right now and beautiful. You can actually walk to your destinations right there in the summer. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I love where I live. It's beautiful scenery and my husband don't want to leave. So there's always that. Um, so, but for me, I kind of pit myself in like, well, if you're remote, you can't manage yourself. That's not true. It's just a limited mindset that we put on ourselves. So that therefore we partner with a lot of partners and over the time we kind of figured out who are good, um, and you know, at delivering. So if you're going down this path, you want to make sure that you actually, instead of being too eager to be on the deal as um, a active syndicator checking the box, you want to actually partner with someone who is very experienced and you know is going to deliver results for you and as well as your investor. Um, and then when you talk to people when they want something from you, uh, everything's going to be really peachy and nice um, until you, not until you get into relationships, then you really know how that's going to. So, so really
0: why is to. it so important to? Pick a partner that has the experience that's going to deliver.
1: Well, because if you're focusing on raising money or the capital stack, the best way to grow your base is, yes, the marketing, the content, all works, but it's delivering results. So in our Phoenix deal, for example, if we're using a deal in two years and delivering huge results for our investors, guess what? That money is coming back to the pot. Right, and then you actually have to go run around and look for a deal and make sure the money gets allocated to the deal, um, and that's a good position, good problem to have. Um, and then so, and then it's not just that money coming back to you; it's three, four, five friends of and family of these people that they introduce you to. Um, I, you know, like literally, I have investors that will introduce me to three or four of their friends in a day, and then literally that's how you raise a million dollar in a day. Right, not in the current deal, but like you lay up that relationships so that they can yeah. invest with you in the future.
0: That, um, that's and, huge.
1: And, yeah, and that's big. How the big investors are getting them done? like really focusing on the results, focusing on your investor, focusing on your customers, focusing on your customer. Um, you know, uh, customer experience, communication, and that helps you to kind of accelerate in and, and then multiply. Um, I love how Dan Sullivan always talk about. Um, you know, longevity, living, uh, so his life expectancy was what he wants to live a century. Um, So, you know, he expected him to live 156 year old. Um, And then he talks about the time, but in the opposite way because in America, everybody always wants stuff now. Um, You know, it's it's always getting there in a year, want to get into a thousand unit in a year. So what happens if you expand that and it makes you stressed about like the time? What happens if he asks you a question like, well, could you 10X your business in 10 years? No, not possible. But what about 25 years? Okay, like we'll probably get there, right? So, um, you know, Rome's not building a day. It, it's one brick at a time. And if you lay more bricks, it's probably going to build a little faster. Um, and then also if you are not afraid to fail, then that's also going to grow a little faster.
0: That That's a hard one for a lot of people. I think a lot of people getting into real estate, that one is like the one that stumbles a lot of people, like being afraid to fail on their first deal, you know, whether it's passive or whether it's active or whether it's buying their own, you know, single family or duplex or four plus that it's a big investment. You know, it's not like buying Amazon's, you know, $5,000 worth of Amazon stock, you know, like it's, you know, typically 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, depending on what you're buying. And so people get scared.
1: Yeah. And then that's when you use knowledge to test the feasibility. Um, I, whatever, whenever we decide on a transaction or not, we do a risk assessment. Um, in my mind, I'll do a risk assessment, whether it's a 10 unit that we're buying or a 300 unit that we're buying. Um, so we look at what is your risk cap, like what is the possibility of lose all of money, and then how much cash do you need to actually set aside to make sure that you go through the hardships, and then what's the worst case scenario. And then not just worst case scenario, that's what a lot of investors ask us about worst case scenario, but how likely that worst case scenario could happen. Uh, that's a very big factor to that. Um, and then what is the upside, right? What is the upside of this and how likely that's going to happen? And then based on market condition, et cetera, that helps feeds into a decision-making for you to decide if I'm going to pull the trigger on this one or not. And then also, um, if, if you only had a $50,000 saving, then you shouldn't be doing passive investing. If that's all you're saving, you probably want to get it to a little bit more capital to do that. So then it forces you to do something more active to get there. You know, all paths, including syndication is an active job, um so truly the holy grail is the passive investment for me at least. Um so all these activity that you do is building up that cast passive uh, pool of wealth which then generate your passive investments that's more predictably. Um I think that's that's how you should look at your whole life map like when we talk about like 10 year plan now 20 year plan now but if people just religiously saved and passive invested smartly and yield about an eight percent, um, we did a calculation on this. If you yield about a ten percent, everybody can basically by just you know investing fifty k every single year, you could retire in ten years, right? Which is amazing. Wow. wow. Yeah. And then if you made a twelve percent and uh, eleven to twelve percent, then uh, you can retire a little earlier, maybe eight, nine, ten years. But a lot of people in like our programs or whatnot that if they kind of ate the red pill was the red pill that you 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 take, uh, <laughs> morphus, uh, from Matrix. Um, so you know, and uh, and they discover more ways to make other incomes, and then a lot of people can just get there in five years. Um, and Darren, you you got there pretty quickly too, right? Like, it, it, once you kind of understand that you're hanging out with the right people. Uh, the information just kind of comes to you and, and then you, you're pretty confident you can get there in five to 10 years.
0: Yeah, you g- I mean, you, you gain confidence by doing, right? And you, so once you kind of, you ha- there's a leap of faith of you know, getting in and, and investing in something that you don't fully understand. Um, you, know, you read books and you listen to podcasts, but you just are not going to know everything until you actually do it. And then when you do it, you learn so much more and it gives you confidence that, look, there's a lot more control in this. Um, and there's a lot more, um, you know, ability for you to pull levers that, you know, versus just putting your money in the stock market and hoping, you know, right. um, the other thing that, you know, you talk that you focus a lot on cash flow. you know, I've had a lot of people educate Me, and in terms of like when you're an employee and I was in that world, um, you know, and I've been a business owner since 2007, but you still put putting money in the stock market, you have this mentality of build up this big nest egg. And then at some point you're going to retire and then you're going to draw down from it. And then I've had a lot of people in the real estate world say, well, look, that's a mindset thing. Like instead of doing that. Why not buy assets that create cash flow, and then if your lifestyle is below that cash flow, you have financial freedom today. You know, and and that's where you're you're going through, and that's that's phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I'm in a position where my other business brings in the cash flow to satisfy you know our lifestyle, and then all the real estate is building you know kind of wealth and generational wealth, um, but. I'm so glad I did it because it it just happens so much faster than than the traditional stock market way.
1: And the other thing is, I talked about focusing being blindsided on single metrics when you evaluate an investment. So, if you only ev- evaluate a cash flow, you could be mi- missing a lot of opportunities. So, example back to this, Darren, is that we did that Tacoma deal. And then subsequently, we got into a Phoenix deal, we 1031 that into a Phoenix, Phoenix Project. Uh, we put a tenant in common together on that. Um, and uh, after 20 months, all closed, we made a 91% return on that again. Not a lot of cash flow during the holding.
0: Three months, you made
1: 91%. Yeah, 6% six, six of cash you able flow during that? the holding. But remember, the first deal, what we had, is we tried to chase that 8%, and we couldn't get that 8%. Now we're six percent, but we're six percent on double our base, so we're making really twelve percent of our original income. So is your cash flow much better? Yes, if uh, you build up the base, your cash flow is going to be a lot better. Now, subsequently, from there, we wrote it into a twenty-four unit in Scottsdale, and seven months later, we got an offer. Looks like it's going to be eighty percent. We're going to have eighty percent return on that one
0: in seven which is months. Just being an
1: accelerator. Yeah, wow. and then, so that pot wow. has grown seven. Point five times in four and a half years. Wow. And, and then you think <sighs> oh about God. cash flow. So oh. now we're 1031 30 that, uh, you know, into our latest syndication. So our investors are really happy because we're bringing $2 million into the deal. Right. Um, and, uh, also we're happy because even let's just say, even it is only 5% of cash flow on the get go. You're at, I don't know, like you are at. I don't know, thirty-five percent cash flow, uh, you know, total. From your
0: original base.
1: If on your original base, yes.
0: Right, right. You know So let me ask you this. So you're you're um rolling that into a syndication using 1031? One?
1: Yes. Yeah, we are.
0: Yeah. So I, I've heard that on select um opportunities, but very few, you know. I, I in the syndication world, I hear you know more and more that you know 1031 exchange is very difficult um, on the exit, you know, to do. Um, you know, I don't know if you, what the rules are. If it's more than fifty percent, have to you know continue to go on. But then uh, yeah. coming in, there aren't those requirements, or how does that work?
1: There are, there are. So 1031 is an entire topic by itself. Um, and I like any times when you're doing anything complicated, you should have a professional team. So I will always work with a facilitator. One of my favorite ones is uh, Will, um, Bill Exeter, William Exeter, Exeter Exchange. Um, so um, I've worked with Bill on all my 1031 exchange. I've done multiple of these. I've 1031 into a tenant in common structure before. So it's not the first time I've done it, but only with partners. It's very simple. It's basically you need to maintain the anonymity between like a separation between the two parties that's in the tenant in common. So instead of holding the property uh by itself, I'm explaining tenant in common structure, um when you crack open that LLC you will see when you crack open that deed, you will see two RLC actually co-owning this property. And then you have to treat the two entity entirely separate. So this has nothing to do the reason why you wouldn't do a tenant in common is so that it facilitates your future 1031 or your current 1031. A 1031 is basically a tax deferred method for you to basically uh, roll your proceeds into the next deal and defer the tax, not offset the tax, but defer the tax. So kick it down. We always say this, kicking the can down the road until you kick the bucket. Um, <laughs> and so basically, but the, the power of it, it comes through leverage. So if you combo that with leverage, because ordinary like people will pay about fifteen percent, twenty percent capital gain, right? Taxes if you would just bought and sold it, uh, through a long term hold. Uh, now if if you did that, um, you know if you didn't have to pay that fifteen percent, twenty percent, and put a seventy percent leverage on this, and all of a sudden your money just grown x amount of fold right so you're you're using the money much more much more efficiently um so there are rules basically the property that you're buying uh, needs to be higher priced than the property that you sold and then you have to identify your next 1031 exchange target within 45 days um and you have to transact within 180 days um, so that was the rules. Um, and, and then that 45 days is usually the most restrictive. And, um, you know, and then at the time when you don't have a project in the later, you could end up with a big, large bill. Um, because you know, if you did the leverage and all that stuff, sometimes the 1031 owners, if they did a couple of times and did a refinance, they may end up owing more taxes than the proceed actually is down the road. Um, but it's a super powerful tool for you to continue build the wealth in this perfect example that I just kind of explained, rolling the money down the line and then you basically don't need to have access to that money at all. But think about it, two million dollars. If you made a ten percent return on this, every year you're two hundred K most people can retire on that money. Just on a single pot.
0: Yeah. Right? But I mean it just takes
1: think years of hard work to get there.
0: Yeah. Just think about the you know, it's a simplified example because that two million probably you know, was rolled, you know, mul- through multiple properties to get to that. But just, just if on that two million, if you just sold and and didn't do a ten thirty one exchange and you paid twenty percent, that's four hundred thousand dollars. Like right. so taking
1: off the pot, taking yeah.
0: taking that off, and then think about okay, if you're getting seventy five percent leverage, you know, four hundred thousand, you could buy something one point six million. You know, like so, right. It's it's crazy how that can really compound over time. Um, That's huge.
1: Yeah. And then so our goal is to potentially get this thing to over 10x within six years. Um, You know, I think we're kind of on track on that. So, um, but of course, my first investor is the happiest, right? Because he's (laughs) he's in this for the free ride. Well, and (laughs) then you
0: helped him roll, you probably helped him roll things, you know, tax-free or tax-deferred. Um, over and over. And so you you made him yes. all multiple. So the That's reason
1: the- why I'm continue doing 1031, yeah, is because of him. I as a real estate professional can actually just take the tax and because I have negative negative the K1s to me from cost segregation, all these other projects I do. But for my investors, I'll do anything. So because of him, you know, I want to make sure that we'll continue to be in this, in this role because um, other people may have W twos and uh, which are full-time jobs, which does not allow them to have the benefit of real estate professional has with tax benefits.
0: That's that's huge. Um, and you, you know what? You pick some good markets. Talk about the markets that you you've picked. So you live in Seattle, but you invest out of, out of state. Where where have you focused your time?
1: Yeah. So again, you know, adversity is like the best thing. Um, because I live remotely and I did not care for the hot weather. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of forced me to be in this location. And then uh, once you kind of remotely invest, all markets are kind of equal for you. So then it allows you to look at it not with a potential potential shackle on your hand to say, oh, I live in Dallas. This is a great market. You should stay in your backyard if you're in Dallas, right? Um, but because I live in Seattle, I didn't want to invest in Seattle. So then the rest of the 50 states are 50 states are basically open for me, right? So then allows me to look at national market trends and to kind of pick a few markets. You don't have to pick the best market. It just so happened the markets we pick are within the top fives. Our Three markets that we invest in now, four, are within the top ten. You know, Houston, Dallas, and Phoenix, and Washington. Um, In inbound migrations, you need to use inbound migration data to really triangulate what cities are growing and what cities are uh, reducing. But it's a very interesting time right now where we have COVID, right? So we're just post COVID right now. So I honestly are really bullish on Houston because I think Houston had a little bit dip. Over there, Dallas and Phoenix continue to accelerate. With accelerating market, sometimes you kind of wonder where's the top. Um, and then when the unit prices becomes not reasonable, it makes you harder to get the yield. But with Houston market, we love it. This is why it's our third market um, because I see a potential dip over there. It has had a l- little bit dip over there. Um, but we picked as a cash flow market for us, but with value add, like true value add methods. Um, so we see a recovery happening in Houston and we see the recovery trend is quite well. Um, so this is a little slight slight winger you get in there because you want to buy low and sell high, right? So that creates a little bit of opportunity for us to buy over there. So that's that's how we look at the market. in New York, I've actually contemplated New York because guess what, biggest loser is New York, right? The Big Apple. And uh, is there opportunities that you can actually go into New York and create value? It's not quite there yet. Regulation kind of kills it. I just recently got in the contract with a 10-unit deal. I wasn't even looking. It's literally five minutes across my house. Um, you know, for this and that reason, I accidentally stumbled into it. And then we got in the contract. Why am I investing in Seattle when all these tenant-landlord rules that people talk about is not friendly? Um, because I know the rule pretty well. I still have some properties in Seattle. Uh, but not Seattle proper for that reason, and our strategy is potentially, you know, it's a value add strategy over there. And then when there's value, there's deals to be fine anywhere. Um, so that's kind of how we pick the market, which is we kind of look at some cycles, sometimes it's kind of intuition as well, but there's a lot of data research we go in there. Every time we do a webinar, it's time for me to research the market that we're investing in, um, you know, or, you know, right before or when we have a deal that in the contract, because it requires you to really deep research um, into the market. And every time it kind of reinforces these are great market. Other great markets are, you know, Las Vegas, the Carolinas, the Salt Lake City. Idaho is great, but inventory is very limited. Um, so Kansas City is actually one of them I really like. Um, I think it did lose some momentum during the COVID. Uh, but again, you know, you kind of want to pick the right time to get into the market. If the markets are already written on CCIM magazines or any other magazines or Forbes, then it's likely too late to get in there. Um, so you kind of want to see where the puck is going to versus where the puck is right now. And then this should go into your underwriting analysis of the deal as well, because a lot of people are bonding their head. They're like, we're not getting our first deal. When I recall back, when I got, before I got my first deal, I was trying to underwrite to make a deal not work. Um, of course, you're not gonna make a deal work, the deal doesn't work, because you try to not make it work. Um, now I underwrite to try to make the deal work. Um, and this comes into experience, creativeness, of where else can you find value uh, other people cannot find. And you have to give the respect to your competitors that they're smart enough to be able to identify the value that you see. So you have to be extra creative or extra good, informative um, to understand you know, other sectors, right? Like we're now doing energy, solar solar uh, roofs on some of our buildings and we do a lot of research on that. So it's not any building that we just want to do that. But a lot of people would tell us solar doesn't make sense. You know, We always believe as a company to invest in the good. So it aligns with our company agreement, but also it turns out it's a win-win for our investors as well. Um, because you can invest a 500K and get 1.2, 1.4%, $1.4 million valuation. Like, I'll do that all day long. And you shave off your bottom line electricity bill, right? But it'll only work on yeah. all bills paid building. Yeah. Yes.
0: I think that's a great point about, you know, the, the underwriting piece. I think that, you know, it happened to me and I, and I see it happen to new people coming into the space when they start underwriting you know, you just hear, okay, how do I underwrite? And you would plug this information in here and there. But when you underwrite, there's a lot of little decision points. And so if you take the conservative route on every one of those decision points, you're most likely not going to come out with a deal that looks promising, you know? So, you know, okay, I can get a 3% interest rate, but I'm going to use three and a quarter. I'm right. going to, I could get, you know, 75 LTV, but I'm going to put in 70 LTV. I think our rents could get to 950, but I'm going to use 900. Well, every time you make that little decision, you know, your returns are impacted on, the, on your underwriting. And so you may not go after that deal, but to your point, there's other syndicators that are smart enough, that are confident enough in being able to deliver that they are going to use those numbers. And so they're going to be able to buy at market prices and then still be able to deliver value.
1: Right. And then there are metrics that we are very conservative on, such as the interest rate, When you mentioned about there. We like to put in a 25 base point buffer in there. But what we're being aggressive on is things that we can control and we have track record on controlling. Um, and this is where when you're going in vert- vertically integration or vertical Uh, which means that you own your construction stack, you own your property management stack, that you get that extra juice. So the creativeness, the stuff that we do, it doesn't come really easy. It's not just numbers. It's actually, it takes hours and days and weeks and years to kind of set it up um, so that you know you can control your property management expenses. You know you negotiated something that's aligned with incentives again, a lot of operator would tell us it makes no sense when you waive property management fee and put them on the general partner side because lenders are still going to evaluate the other way. That's very surface. Um, but what about creating cash flow in the market that doesn't have cash flow, like Phoenix? It doesn't have cash flow. Most deals don't have cash flow in Phoenix, very little. Um, and, but by being able to play with that property management fee and people still getting paid on the general partner side, give a piece of your pie away, you end up with a whole deal. You end up with a whole pie. Is that a great trade-off, right? So it's, it's a whole thing is about, um, the whole thing is about giving a piece of small, your pie, don't focus so much about your slice. Like focus on the bigger pie. Focus on how do you work with the whole team to elevate the teams, the people around you, right? To create opportunities for people around you. And that wheel becomes bigger and bigger and then the piece of pie that's shared by everybody becomes bigger and bigger. So, you know, the, the, the one thing to kind of think about it, people, some people ask me, well, do you pay your, you know, broker a full commission? It's like, absolutely. We don't try to negotiate any of that because he's going to do a good job. He's going to bring you the next three deals and whether having a deal versus not having a deal is how you make money, how your investor make money. Um, and uh, the other question was like, well, like we were really worried about getting 50%, 50-50 split. We do a straight up cut. We don't do waterfall because our investor knows that we're not trying to like, you know, I think waterfall is great. It rewards the right behavior for, you, for your syndicators. Don't get me wrong. We just don't do it because it's like, you know what? Yeah, we can get that extra 20% on the small slipper or 2% on the top. But the perception is like, no, we want our investor to invest with us again. The one six one fifty years old analogy is that we want our investor to be with us for twenty years, for thirty years, and the repeat rings a repeat. So it's not so much about this deal, how much we get, how much they get. Um, it's it's elevating everybody around us. Um, that, same with my property management fantastic. company. That's- you know, we we sign pretty much exclusive contracts with them. I mean, they're free to do the same model with other people, but nobody has taken them up for it. Uh, is, is you know, I understood my PMs were really passionate about being in ownership. So we made an ownership spot for them. But as a trade-off, we waived 2% of their PM fee. And this aligns the incentives for the investors because the PM fees are charged on revenue. So they don't worry about the expenses too much. But if you're on the general partner side, you worry about investor getting paid before you get paid, right? Um, so, so that's all incentives. Like, I think... You know, a couple of lessons I learned to partner with people too. It's it self-examining too. It's like, if you pay people well, people's going to be sticking with you. And then it makes the business a lot easier in the future. That's, and it creates wealth for everybody around you.
0: That's the long game. And, I, and that I've learned that this business is really the long game, building long-term relationships with investors, with lenders, with property management companies. So you're, you're right on there. Hey, uh, we're coming to the end. Um, what do you like to do for fun outside of work?
1: Um, I'm Kind of workaholic. Um, I'm actually <laughs> restructuring my day and try to have free days, one free day a week, um, where it's very intentionally spent time with family, uh, doing some self spa, whatnot. Um, I do love, you know, in the winter, I love to go um, snowboarding. I love traveling um, and uh, it's hard for me to not read business books for the free day right. that have, right. but that how was how it's supposed to be. Um, learning is really interesting for me. I know it's a kind of boring answer, um, but being able to go to different conferences, explore different ideas, it's pretty rewarding for me. For me, like it's really rewarding when I put different ideas together and this whole thing becomes a whole
0: circle. I, um, And that's I don't like think a moment that that's-, that's like, Boring. It's like, look, when, when you get to choose what you want to learn is when it gets fun, you know? So when you go into school, I see my kids, I've got, my son's a junior in college. My daughter's going to be a freshman. And look, you know, high school, junior high school, college, you just, you have to learn what they tell you to learn. And a lot of it is boring. But when you, you're an adult and you choose to read books because you want to learn about something, that's you know, that's great. And that's, you know, that's how you grow. Um, yeah.
1: And and it's traveling, right? Traveling. I think everybody loves traveling. You know, we're at the position where we could, we actually went on a vacation for about, not vacation, but traveling for five months during COVID. Again, thinking the other people not thinking, it's like when it's the best time to travel because uh, there's nobody, <laughs>
0: nobody around. <laughs> nobody out. That's, that's great. That's great. Hey, so so how do uh, listeners reach out to you? Is that website the best way for people to reach out to you or is there another way?
1: Yeah, so uh, EasyFi University, we got everything over there. Um, and then from there, you can subscribe to our YouTube channels as well. Uh, we have our own podcast, 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. We interview entrepreneurs like you, Darren, um, to kind of look into inside entrepreneur mindset. Um, and uh, we uh, so basically the, go to EZFI University. You can kind of find all that resources this is where all the blogs and etc. lives. And also there's a button on the on the, on the page over there that you can schedule a call with me as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, Alyssa, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that one. And until next week, sign off.
1: Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.